Well, good morning. Welcome back to the broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Weekly for Saturday, November 4th, 2023. And our top story today, it's a good week for stocks and a great start to November. Joining me now to break it all down, Jane King is a financial journalist joining us from the NASDAQ. Jane, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Great to always be with you, Jeffrey. All right. So it's a great start to November. Um, and uh, you took a look at the new job numbers that came out. How did we do? That's right. So, well, it does show that the labor market is slowing down. So the U.S. added 150,000 jobs in October. We expected 170,000, which was already way down from where we were in September. Um, what's more, the Labor Department revised lower both August and September by more than 100,000 jobs. So August and September were slower than what we had previously thought as more data came in. The unemployment rate ticked a little bit higher, 3.9%. Uh, that is the <clears throat> highest unemployment rate we've seen since January. So um, you know it's interesting, interest rates immediately went down and the stock market went up because uh, this is you know what the Fed's been trying to do, slow down the labor market, tight labor markets inflationary and um, so the stock market is responding positively, at least so far. It has this week, Jane, you bring up the Fed. They decided to stand pat on interest rates. Uh, the reaction, to your point, been pretty good for the markets. I mean, this great start to November. Oh, my goodness. As soon as the calendar changed from October to November, it was like the mood completely changed. November typically is a really good month for stocks. So um, we've got that seasonality with us. Uh, there was a lot of negativity in September and October. There's some unwinding of those positions. Earnings have been pretty good. So it uh, makes sense that there'd be some buying coming into the market. And, and Jane, uh, war continues in the Middle East and in Central Eastern Europe, maybe? Is that where? Um, yeah, Ukraine, I guess. Eastern yeah, Europe, yeah. Is that Eastern Europe? I don't know. Whatever. But war, unfortunately, continues. Let's talk a little bit about oil prices. I, I, I think they've risen slightly, um, if I'm not mistaken, and they're expected to go up a little bit higher. Well, there have been some predictions that if we would see a full-blown Middle East war, we could see oil up to $150 a barrel. I mean, right now it's about 90-ish. Um, but the Israel um, move into Gaza was more kind of surgical rather than like this massive momming. And that seemed to settle the oil markets down a little bit. But there's missiles being fired from Lebanon into Israel. Syria supposedly has been trying to do some stuff as well. Um, so it's, it feels like it's, you know, very risky and kind of a powder keg and things could change quickly. And, you know, what's not in the news, we don't hear anything about the Ukraine-Russia uh, war. I, I haven't heard anything, but but that has an impact on natural gas. Another important, right, there's a whole pipeline to Europe, um, I think, through that area. Uh, so that, agriculture that, products. And agriculture, right? So yeah. all of that, I think, could be inflationary. This is my point. Well, it could be. Um, you know, it doesn't seem to indicate that right now, but... Again, I mean, it's just so volatile right now. And there's China's making some moves and things like that. I think they bumped up against a Philippine tanker. And, you know, there's just kind of all these little things happening that it feels like that, you know, we're right under the surface of something big potentially happening. So let's hope that cooler minds prevail and we can see some peace pretty quickly. Yeah, Jane, let's uh, end on a, I think, a more positive note. Let's talk a little bit about holiday shopping. And we have talked with you 
Um, holidays now begin on or around October. It used to be when I was a kid, November, and even right. a, a Friday is like the kickoff. Yes, that was a kickoff, but but no longer. Uh, how do things look? The consumer sentiment maybe a little mixed, but uh, how do things? How are things shaping up for holiday shopping? I think about all the the big retailers, but also the mom and pop, for lack of a better term, stores that rely heavily on this time of year. Well, the National Retail Federation predicts about three to four percent growth compared to last year. And last year we had five point something. Um, and then the year before that, we had way up because it was like the year after the post you know, pandemic where nobody really did much shopping hardly at all. So um, they think it'll be kind of moderate, um, but not as strong as what we've seen in recent years. Inflation's going to play a role in this. You know, depending on these geopolitical situations, that could dampen consumer sentiment as well. So, and the job market looks like it's slowing. So we may not see the robust holiday spending that we've seen in the past couple of years. But I can tell you who's going to do well, and that's a dentist, because I saw a lot of kids out for Halloween, and I think oh, yeah. they were eating a lot, of, a lot of candy. So I think that's going to keep the dentists and the American Dental Association in business. Jane, we're going to have to leave it there. Always great to see you. Have a great rest of the weekend. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Jane. Great to see you. Thanks for sharing your perspective. When we come back, we take a look back at some of our best segments for the week. You're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN Weekly. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you got to start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're going to change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Welcome back. It was another great week of shows, great topics and great guests. We kicked off the week with a look at how foundation portfolios had a weak Q3. Let's take a look. Uh, it wasn't a great quarter. Um, the uh, uh, foundations were down 2.9% um, in the third quarter. And that brings uh, year-to-date gains back to 8.2% uh, on an investment um, point of view. Um, their assets are actually up about 5% in the 
And the distinction between these those numbers is uh, that foundations are continually giving money away. That's their their um, reason for being. They have to give away at least five percent of their assets. So they're always you know going up a hill, and that hill is always very steep. It's not just a a pot of money that can grow and grow. It's got to be uh, you know paid out in installments. Uh, great question because the um, what you've seen over the last ten years is an increasing use of alternative assets, private equity, um, hedge funds, and um, other partnerships like that, which you know have performed very well for the last let's say um, you know, twenty years. But the last two years have been challenging um, in, in you know for the for the alternative space, but. The um, the overall allocation. I'd say there were two trends. One is the um, the allocation to cash and fixed income. Again, that has been drifting down for a long um, long time, from about to over twenty percent of um, of assets ten years ago. But only about fifteen percent, um, and even uh, lower in terms of the uh, the larger foundations that you point out, um, and. One of the things that, that actually was a bit of a benefit from that point of view was uh, in the last year, um, you know, high-grade bonds, the you know Barclays Bloomberg Aggregate Index, has really come under a lot of pressure. So um, any any portfolio that had a large exposure to you know high-grade bonds, you know, probably took a you know they had a very challenging time, and so that's um, you know one of the benefits of, of having a relatively lower exposure to um, cash and fixed income. I think it's a, it's an excellent default position, right? Which is, you know, what would, you know, um, it, again, it's very easy to create a 60-40 portfolio and measure against that, especially over long um, periods, because um, some of these asset classes just didn't really exist, you know, you know, or exist in the size that they do 10 or 15 years ago. Um, but anyway, the 60-40 um, uh, portfolio was, um, it was up about, um, sorry, I'm trying to remember this right there. Um, it was up, well, foundations were up 8.2 year to date and foundations were doing a little bit better than um, the 60-40 portfolio. But, um, you know, I'm sorry, yeah, there is the 60-40 was up 7.2%. So foundations did a little bit better. And a lot of that was attributable to their lower exposure to um, the fixed income markets. So the um, that has been a benefit. Over the longer term, foundations have not kept up with the 60-40, um, despite their, their large allocation to equity and equity-linked um, uh, products like private equity and hedge funds. You know, over the last ten years, again, we've really seen great outperformance from the you know um, the technology sector and you know, sort of a high octane stocks. And you can imagine some foundations who are in equities, but they might have more conservative uh, portfolios. Is um, you know one reason. The other reason is there probably isn't as much um, you know uh, you know pressure put on the managers because a lot of you know, this, you know, not the larger ones, but we do feel that there are a lot of foundations that aren't as actively uh, managed in terms of, you know, uh, 
you know, if it's your money, you get very concerned about it. But if it's in a foundation and, you know, that's money that's just going to charity at some point and they don't revisit it quite as often as they should. Um, I, and we think that that's actually a very big problem that uh, that that exists in the foundation world and one that we'd really like to shine a light on. You know, foundations in terms of total giving for in the United States uh, represents about uh, 19% of total giving. And that number has been going up as individual giving has been coming down and corporate giving has been coming down. Um, so the more money that foundations have, then the more that they can um, give away. Uh, and foundation assets peaked actually, uh, you know, at the end of December in 2021, and they're down about 10% from that peak. So the, um, the implications for giving are that, you know, it takes a little while because foundations usually use a three-year rolling average um, to set their, their giving trends. But we're looking at giving to be up very small um, this year if markets stay where they are. If markets fall, which, you know, beginning of this quarter doesn't seem to be a very helpful um you know, start, but if markets fall, then we might see giving flat or or even down. And then when you look forward to 2024, it's you know it might be a, a rockier time unless we see a rebound in the uh, in the equity markets. As I said, it's mostly tied to the equity markets because their um, their exposure there is uh, nearly 80 percent. And we also discussed rebuilding your life after a great divorce. Let's take a look. People sometimes define it as over 50, over 55, over 65. Generally, it's people later in life um, that it's a it's a trend of increasing divorce among that age group as compared to younger people, which is a decreasing trend. I think a big piece of it is life expectancy, that when the children, when they have an empty nest, when the kids have launched, they're looking at another 30 years and they're looking at their partner and saying, do I really want to do this um, with this person? Um, they're more financially secure usually at that age. So it's not as financially challenging. I mean, it is challenging, but it's not as daunting. It's more complicated to untangle all that if it's been a long-term marriage. Um, but people change as they get older. And when they're looking at a longer life expectancy, they see a whole other chapter ahead and very often, I think, are looking for something new, more romance, something more exciting. I think there are many challenges. One is you've had a, um, a lifetime with a partner. A great divorce is usually after a long-term marriage. And so untangling not only the financial piece, but the social piece, the changing relationships with adult children, uh, it, and a whole new lifestyle. Most people after divorce, you know, their lifestyle gets cut back. They don't live quite at the same standard of living that they lived at before. Sometimes they um, are in their intention is to find a new partner. Sometimes there already is a new partner, and that's kind of led to the breakup. For older women in particular, um, they're more likely to have to find work. Um, maybe they've been home raising their children and have not worked in many years. Um, and now at an age when many are looking at retirement, they're looking at 
getting a job just to make ends meet. It doesn't if that's your if that's your goal, but in my experience, often there's one person in the marriage that really wasn't thinking about divorce. And if that is the wife, which it often is, um, they are faced with a whole new vision, having to completely revisualize their future. And, and if that means going back to work, for example, I worked with a woman who had only taught school for a year before she got married. And she assumed that her husband would take care of her forever. He was in the medical world. And when they divorced because he wanted another relationship and more romance, she was forced to go back to work. And she said, I don't know computers. I don't know technology. How can I go back to teaching kids when the world has changed in the 30 years since I taught school? And I think that's not an uncommon experience for women. But I think women can be creative. I had another client who began to make candy in her kitchen and to sell it. And she was really successful. So I think women can and do recover and they might have to be creative about how they do that at that age. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Weekly. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to? Well, drop us a line. And don't forget for all the latest curated news and lifestyle wellness finance tech, so much more in all in one place. Check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content? Well, then visit our website. We're back again tomorrow with BRN Sunday. I'll be joined by the legal eagles, David Levine and Kevin Walsh, and Oliver Rennick will be joining us from the Schwab Network to help break down markets. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio only podcasts so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device.